Slip and slide, getting loose. More punch than your bowl of juice. And ain't nobody more jiggy than us. Stuff so rough, it causes head rush like war. Give it to me, bring it here. Don't stop, girl. Shake it here, shake it there. Let money mark get off your derriere. We off the chain for the whole year. So if you look good with a big old butt, live in your own crib and make your own bucks. Hit me up, TreyPlus.com, and tell me where you from. Ah, uh, yes. DFS MVP, TJ Hernandez, the DFS, the director of DFS, the guru of DFS, the DFS master of 444.com. I'm Holden Kushner. It is week one coming up. Before we get into what we've been waiting for for like six or seven months now, TJ, what was that music at the top? That was uh, the the one and only Trick Daddy. Take it to the house from his 2001 album, Thugs R Us. And I, I thought it was fitting because I think a, a lot of the plays that we talk about on this pod are going to be taking it to the house this week uh, for our fantasy lineups. And if you haven't, if you've ever seen the show Hot Ones uh, on YouTube, there's an episode of Trick Daddy from like season three or four, and it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. So go ahead and watch that. I have no time to watch Hot Ones. Between <laughs> what's going on in real life and what's going on in fantasy right now, this is this is all football all the time. It's going to be our busiest week of the year, and that's what we're going to do for you today. We're going to get you some of our plays. We're going to get you our game theory segment where we're going to talk about tournament structures and maybe some of the best tournaments that you should play in if you're not a guy that plays 150 max entries. So think about that. Uh, our promo, DFS MVP, if you type that in on 444.com and you sign up for the DFS package, you'll get 25% off. DFS MVP, the promo gets you 25% off. Rate and review, T-shirt giveaway, Leave a five-star review. Even if you don't mean it, do it. You're automatically entered to win. Who's this week's winner, TJ? You know what? I was, I was feeling pretty generous. Uh, it's week one and all, and we're celebrating the kickoff to the season. And I got I got two really, really good reviews. So this week, we're giving away two T-shirts. One is to username bro x montana i think that's just supposed to be bro montana the x is to break it up uh, and then uh, the other one is bk sexy couple uh bro x montana shouted out our spotify playlist so i had to give him some love and then i saw the username bk sexy couple and in my head it's 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 brooklyn and that's just jay-z and beyonce love dfs so much that they listen to the dfs mvp pod and that's their itunes username so i want to give them a free t-shirt so i'm gonna go with that in my head and uh bro x montana and bk sexy couple free t-shirts hit me up on twitter i'll give you the information on how to get those yeah i looked at bk sexy couple and i misread it and i was like whoa hey what's going on but you know whatever <laughs> lifestyle you lead, that's terrific so here we go tj new listeners right we're always getting new listeners here mm-hmm. it's a new year um, what we're going to do is we're going to give a few of our favorite plays at every position for the main slate, followed by mm-hmm. a theory segment. So again, we'll get you the week one plays, and then we're going to teach you how to play and get you exactly the, the contest you're going to want to play if you're going into GPP and cash games as well. So without further ado, week one plays, we're going to start at quarterback. Who's at the top of your list here, TJ? Uh, Cam Newton stands out if we look at, uh, four for four projections and and floor ceiling uh, percentage of odds to to hit your cash lineups. Uh, Cam Newton really stands out for me. He's sixty nine hundred dollars on DraftKings, eighty one hundred dollars on FanDuel versus Dallas. And one thing that uh, I like to look for in my quarterbacks, especially if I'm playing them in cash games, I'm looking for the floor. And there's probably no safer quarterback when it comes to a rushing floor than Cam Newton. He's averaging almost 40 yards per game on the ground over the last three years. And in that span, he has 21 rushing touchdowns. So even if we take the rushing touchdowns away, those rushing yards, that's almost a a passing touchdown worth of fantasy points. So that's something that I'm looking for in my quarterback. But he has some upside this week too. Uh, last week, uh, last year, Dallas allowed the seventh highest touchdown rate to opposing passers. And I think uh, Cam Newton probably has, w- would you say this is his best complement of weapons he's ever had with a healthy Greg Olson and now DJ Moore to stretch the field, Christian McCaffrey with a year under his belt? Uh, is, is that pretty crazy to say or do you agree Funchess McCaffrey absolutely this is by far and away the most weapons that Cam Newton has had now I'm looking forward to seeing how more kind of progresses as the season goes on because there have been some sexier rookie wide receivers that have stood out to me and maybe you know we haven't really seen what more is going to show but yeah 
uh, especially with the everybody's on the Christian McCaffrey train and he looks brilliant. And yeah, I mean, Greg Olson has a lot to prove. You know, how much does he still have left in the tank? Because he hasn't put up any prolific numbers because of the injuries. But yeah, um, I, I'm down with you with Cam Newton. I am interested in, and it's something week one. We don't have four or five or six weeks of NFL season to go on. We look on what happened last year and we're looking at some of the offseason moves and maybe just a little bit of what happened, if any at all, in the preseason. But if you do go back to last year, Dallas did a decent job of keeping quarterbacks from amassing big running games. But this is a different beast. This is Cam Newton we're talking about. So um, good luck making Cam Newton a pocket passer in week number one. That's the only that's the only issue I would have there. But as far as safety goes, I think it's just about as safe as you can get with Cam Newton. Sure. And that that defense is a different defense with, with Sean Lee, who was out for, for most of last year. So that's definitely something to consider. Uh, but we have Cam as as the top quarterback in terms of odds to hit cash value. And that's something that we're going to re- reference a lot throughout the year on this podcast and in anything you read on 4 for 4. So before we move on, uh, I just want to explain what we're talking about when we mention odds to hit cash value. And basically what we did on 4 for 4 is we we calculated a value multiplier that adjusts for position and salary, but it's not linear. So a lot of times you'll hear something like, uh, you only need your quarterback to hit 2x on on FanDuel uh, to, to hit value. So let's say a, a $5,000 pass, passer only needs to get you 10 points, but that's not accounting for uh, position or salary. We do that with our with our value equation. So for example, a $8,000 quarterback on FanDuel actually needs to hit 2.48x value, whereas a $5,000 passer would need to hit 3.26 value. Uh, those cheaper passers need to score you more points on average than your more expensive ones. So uh, that's what we're talking about when we talk about odds to hit cash value at 4 for 4. Yep, and I'll say it again. This uh, this is the site where I learned to play DFS. All right, for a while now, and our our audience is getting really big compared to what we're doing in the off season. I mean, now we're coming up on the season, so there's gonna be a lot of new listeners this week, next week, uh, the week after that. And I learned from guys like TJ and the rest of the crew here at Four for Four, and my whole model is built off of what. Uh, they've taught me what to do. So not only am I a, uh, a, a subscriber, not only do I work for these guys, uh, I was a subscriber for a long time as well. So Cam Newton, we start at quarterback. Let's move on to the guy that most fans are going to cringe when you say his name. But I'll, I'll tell you, the, the, the biggest tournament winning I ever had was when Blake Bortles was the quarterback. Now I think Justin Blackman might actually have been his his wide receiver one. Wow, back that's throwing it back. There's <laughs> the throwback. Blake Bortles, fifty five point six k on DK, um, and then sixty six hundred on Fanduel. Why is Blake Bortles somebody to circle here? Bortles is someone that you brought up, I think, in our initial uh, salary breakdown when when salaries dropped over the summer and. I wasn't hot or cold. I just had to, to look a, a little bit further into it. And now that we're close to week one, Bortles projects as a top three positional value for both FanDuel and DraftKings on four for four. Uh, that just has a lot to do with the fact that New York is a, they're not a good secondary. Uh, they allowed the most fantasy points to quarterbacks last season. They were bottom four in touchdown rate and fantasy points per pass attempt allowed. And we know that strength of schedule doesn't, always carry over from season to season. The correlations are are pretty weak, but where it is pretty strong is in those extremes. So those bottom five or top five defenses against any position are usually pretty sticky across all positions except for tight end. So we know that uh, the, the Giants have done very little to improve that secondary. A lot of people look at Janoris Jenkins and and think that he's a pretty good shadow cornerback. But if we look at him and Eli Apple, they both rank in the bottom uh, 15 in fantasy points allowed per target last year. So Janoris Jenkins, not as great as some people think. And Bortles weapons are fine. Even with Marquise Lee out, we got DD Westbrook, uh, Keelan Cole, who played really well in the preseason. They added Dante Moncrief and Austin Safarian Jenkins. So 
the names that he's throwing to aren't sexy, but there's enough of them to get it done. And and I don't think there's a guy that they could really zero in on. Keelan Cole is probably the best pass catcher on that offense. And then Bortles, he adds you a little bit of uh, that rushing floor as well. 20 rush yards per game over the past three seasons, which isn't huge, uh, but it's it's something to note. It's top six or seven in the league when we look at, at rushing quarterbacks. Mark my words right now. At some point in time, as long as he's healthy, DJ Chark, DJ Chark is going to win you money this season. DFS. He's a guy. He's a guy that a lot of people like, and that just kind of reiterates the the point of us liking Bortles. And uh, I'm throw it back to one of my my buddies, Run for Johnny. He used to be big in the DFS industry. If you take, he calls it the syrup over the pancake. So if he has all these weapons, we don't know who he's going to throw to. Throw Shark in the mix as well someone's going to do well. Why not take Bortles and, and kind of cover your bases? Yeah. I mean, listen, he's going to have a lot of weeks where he stinks up the joint. He also went mm-hmm. through a run last year where he picked up uh, four out of five weeks. He surpassed 20 fantasy points per game. So, yeah, and I'm telling you, Shark, so impressed with him in college at LSU, 6'4", 200 pounds. There's a reason why they could let Allen Robinson go. And there's a reason why they could let Allen Hearns go. And they, and yes, they did suffer a pretty big injury, um, to Marquise Lee, but they still have a lot of talent with Blake Bortles. So there you go with Bortles. Bortles, by the way, had more three or four touchdown pass games than Drew Brees. Now, it was only one three-touchdown pass and one four-touchdown pass game, but Brees only had one 3D, three yeah. 3-TD game last year, TJ. So this was a little different, Drew Brees. He finally had the running game, which was terrific. Their defense is emerging. want to get your thoughts on Brees, though, as we head into to week one. I think personally, I think he's going to be chalky. They got Tampa Bay at home. He's the second highest priced quarterback on FanDuel at 8.4K. Uh, you look over on DraftKings too. I mean, I, Drew Brees, the third highest priced QB at 6.8. So your thoughts on Brees and how safe he could be here in week number one? I, I definitely think he's safe. Uh, Tampa Bay was one of the worst secondaries in the league last year, and, and now Michael Thomas is, is most likely uh, going to have, uh, no matter where he lines up, he's going to have a really good matchup. So regardless of what you think about Cam Meredith, who a guy we were high on preseason didn't have a great preseason, but still gives them a number two presence. Uh, Ben Watson, again, not great, but he has done well uh, in this offense before. And, much better than what they had at tight end last year. So those just a a slight upgrade in weapons should push the saints a little bit back towards what we saw in the past before last year. And that being a pass first offense that that doesn't mean not getting running backs involved. Running backs catch a lot of passes in this offense, but uh, the, the saints have traditionally been a little bit more pass heavy. And this Tampa Bay offense is, is really bad against the pass. Our defense is bad against the pass. Uh, the only thing that I think might drive down Breeze's ownership a little bit, and we're going to actually get to this in a second, is the fact that I think Kamara is going to be uber chalk. And a lot of people are just scared, whether it be in a tournament or GPP, to pair a quarterback with a running back. And that's that that's a little bit of a faulty line of thinking, especially in GPPs. But I think that could, can keep people off uh, Breeze a little bit, at least in cash games. Yeah, well, I, I got to tell you, I'm almost, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth on him in tournaments, besides mm-hmm. for the whole chalk thing. If we're yeah. thinking game script and, you know, by third quarter, this thing's a blowout, maybe Breeze throws for a couple of touchdowns and 300 yards. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's nice, but is that the blow up spot of the week for Drew Breeze? It's always possible with him, but I, I don't think that he's in a spot where he's, what do they call it, a smash spot. I don't think he's in the spot where he's going to be the number one fantasy quarterback this week. I don't think, I don't think a GPP for me that he's the guy that I, that I'd be targeting. Probably with, uh, with what we've seen Kamara doing with, uh, without the, the added bonus of, of a second pass catching, uh, uh, running back. I could definitely see that a little bit. Gillisley, uh, now, I, I don't think Gillisley is going to play a major factor, but what he's going to do is he's going to cut into that passing touchdown potential because where when you have Kamara and Ingram on the field at the same time, anybody could catch a passing touchdown. If Gillisley comes in for some vultures, that's not going to be a reception touchdown, and that hurts Bree's ceiling a little bit. So even just something like that alone hurts his tournament upside. But he does have Michael Thomas, which is always a good thing. So 
um, that's that's the quarterback rundown here. Let's move on to running backs. And you mm-hmm. already mentioned Kamara. Yeah. Uh, 8.5 on DK, 8.7 on FanDuel at home against Tampa Bay. Gains trip looking terrific for them. Um, as far as top running back values on both sites, where is Alvin Kamara? He's number one. We have him projected as the highest value on both FanDuel and DraftKings by a pretty considerable margin. And uh, I mean, that's he's only priced $100 above David Johnson on FanDuel, but we have him uh, projected almost a full point of value ahead of him, which is pretty considerable if you go into our how, how we calculate our value for players and then almost two full points ahead of any running back on uh, DraftKings. So even though he is pretty chalky and, and um, we're not going to blow anyone away with this pick, it's it's the player that there, there's still a couple dominoes that we need to fall for us to see how pricing shakes out. But if, if a couple things happen and there's some value that opens up, then I'm hitting the lock button on Camara. And that's just because what we talked about, New Orleans is favored by nine and a half. They have one of the highest uh, impl- or the highest implied point total of the week. And even if Camara doesn't get the, the, 22 23 touches that some other running backs might get i think he has the highest touchdown upside of any running back on the slate and i do think that over the course of the season we see the saints uh total running back touch share drop a little bit the 70 percent that they gave their running backs uh, of touches last year that's not sustainable but gillis lee's been on the team for what 24 hours 48 hours when we dropped this podcast not even not even a full week come kickoff so does gillis lee go in there and get 10 touches and maybe some goal line looks maybe but i i think uh gillis lee has fumbled once or twice and we've seen sean payton pull the plug on players as good as mark ingram so if gillis lee has any trouble getting ready for this offense Kamara probably, unlike what we saw last year, at least in this spot until Gillis Lee gets comfortable, could see 75, 80% of the snaps. You've, you've really got to take what head coaches say with a grain of salt a lot of mm-hmm. times. Um, but I sit here and I do the Fantasy First podcast, so I just listen to press conferences. I'll be walking right. around my house with headphones on, listening to press conferences, and I'm listening to Sean Payton, and Sean Payton's going, well, you know, we really like that this uh, that Gillisley come in. He's a banger. We're not going to throw the ball to him or anything, but you know, we can hand him the ball, and he can be he can be big and just in in the run game, right? So he's kind of a bruiser and a banger. So him getting ten carries week one, I don't think is completely outlandish. I mean, to think that he's going to get any more than that, but I could see, especially in a blowout, that he's he's going to get close to ten touches, eight to ten touches. And then for Kamara, you do wonder how much Peyton wants to maybe shave back his workload in the running game and mm-hmm. feature him even more in the passing game. It's <laughs> believe it or not, I think that's something to to keep an eye on that. Kamara could be featured even more in the passing game if that's possible. Especially if Cam Meredith's uh, preseason rolls over into week one. I kind of already touched on he hasn't he didn't have a, a great preseason like a lot of people hoped for. And is, in terms of Kamara's rushing totals, I think he's so fast and so elusive that people kind of think that he's a smaller back. He's a 215-pound back. That's plenty big enough to handle all the carries. I mean, he 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 looks like Jamal Charles on the field, and we've seen obviously Jamal Charles be a twenty touch back. So uh, maybe Peyton might want to keep Kamara limited a little bit. But again, if if Gillisley isn't getting it done, at least for week one, I don't think the Saints will have any problem uh, giving Kamara as much as he can handle. And like you said, yeah, that that target upside, he could see twelve targets in week one. All right, so here's the other guy you and I both circled when the salaries came out mm-hmm. on both sites. Alex yep. Collins, five point six on DK, sixty seven hundred on FanDuel, hosting Buffalo. Nate Peterman, Nathan Peterman is starting for the for the Bills. It, why does that matter? With the run, it matters because field position should be huge in this game. Collins yeah. should get looks there. Game script in his favor. He's also a really underrated running back. I think he's a terrific running back. I can see this game, TJ, being a little bit more of a low-scoring football game. But if if you're looking to check boxes off, what are we looking for in a cash game running back? We're looking for volume. We're looking for a team that's that's going to a, a guy that's going to be on a team that is favored to win. I mean, all the boxes are checked here for Alex Collins. 
the only team besides the Saints that's favored by at least a touchdown on the main slate is the Ravens. You talked about Buffalo, and their defense is is decent. They're serviceable defense, but the problem is Nathan Peterman starting. He's not going to have the game he had against the Chargers last year where he threw, what was it, five interceptions and nine attempts or something ridiculous like that. But this is just a really poor offense. And even if it is a low scoring game, it's an offense that uses their running backs at, at a very high clip, especially ever since Marty Morningway came over to run the offense the last two years. I believe they lead the league in running back touch share in that span. And Collins was seventh in touches from week eight through 17 last year. He put up workhorse numbers that's expected to continue on early into the season. I do think at some point in the season, Buck Allen and or Kenneth Dixon start cutting into that a little bit, but I don't think it happens in week one where the, uh, the Ravens should be able to, to put this thing away pretty comfortably and a couple turnovers, uh, that touchdown upside is, is a little bit higher than some expect because of the turnover potential of the Buffalo, uh, Buffalo offense uh, offense. Yeah. Buffalo went out, tried to improve their, their uh, run stopping too. So we'll see if that worked because there were some big games we had against Buffalo, despite being a, you know, overall a pretty good defense last yeah. year. So here's the big one though. Let's get to the big one. Mm-hmm. As we tape this Wednesday night, Le'Veon Bell still is not showing up. There's the offensive line. A couple guys, Ramon Foster, Marquise Pouncey. They're all pissed off. Pouncey said he'd be there on Wednesday. Bell didn't show up. Ramon Foster said he's really upset. Basically called him selfish. You know, he guys are not happy with Le'Veon Bell right now. When he shows up, I, I'm going back to this. He's not going to get a big workload. I think James Conner is absolutely in play, and I think he's going to be a better play on FanDuel because he's more of a bruiser. He's not a pass catcher. And I think the ramifications of James Conner getting a start and getting the majority of work, and I'm looking forward to seeing if you think he's going to get the majority of work, but – the ramifications of that is here's a guy that's going to be in for volume. And despite the forecast that says there's 20 mile an hour winds right now, I think you got to boost up Antonio Brown and Juju Smith Schuster even more because Lev Bell won't be catching all those passes and Ben's going to have to go somewhere else. Yeah, I got, I got a couple of thoughts about the, the AB thing, and we'll get to that when we get to wide receiver. But this is going to determine the entire slate, whether Le'Veon Bell plays or not. We've talked about the free square all week. If Le'Veon Bell doesn't show up for week one, uh, James Conner is the free square across all sites, any game type. You have to take that cheap running back volume. Uh, we have it at the other positions a little bit. We got a cheap Rex Burkhead and cheap Peyton Barber on DraftKings, but those are pretty questionable situations. I don't know if you're really going to lock any of those guys in to, uh, to your cash games, but James Conner, $4,500 on DraftKings, $5,000 on FanDuel. Uh, if, if Le'Veon doesn't play, you you have to put him in. They are their favorites uh, against the uh, Browns. They're an offense that is ridiculously explosive and we've we've seen it uh before where where Le'Veon sat out or was suspended early in the year that whoever they plug in it has been very successful and then if Le'Veon does play he's just a fade for me because we saw it last year he got off to a slow start only had about 65 percent of the backfield touches which is way down for a player that usually sees every single backfield touch I, I don't think Le'Veon walks in and and gets anywhere close to 75% of the touches. If he does play week one, it might be a 50-50 split. Uh, so basically, if if Le'Veon's out, Connor's a lock. If Le'Veon plays, um, then I'm not touching their backfield. And it's not like their running back, the stable behind Connor is that impressive. Jalen Samuels, right. a kid they just drafted this offseason. Mm-hmm. And Steven Ridley's still around in the well, game, believe it or not. So, did they yeah. cut Fitzgerald <laughs> Tucson? He's not there. That's okay, it. Yeah, He's done. Yeah. That's, that's what so, I, I mean... <laughs> Connor could be in for a massive, massive workload. Yeah. But again, TJ, I do feel better about him in, st- in, in FanDuel on a half-point PPR as, a, as opposed to a full-point PPR because he's just not going to be featured in a passing game yeah, whatsoever. It, it just comes down to to that price tag and, and opening up uh, what you can do on the site. Like it's, I, I almost never avoid that free square and, and – Probably I'm a little more concerned with that in a position where 
a player might be vulnerable to game script. I don't think Pittsburgh is in trouble in this game at Cleveland. Obviously, anything can happen, but a four-point favorite is a, is a pretty noticeable number. Uh, that's not something I'm going to shy away from. I, I still think even without catching the ball, in worst-case scenario, Connor has a 15-touch floor if, if Le'Veon doesn't play. Do you think that Connor is the highest-owned player if Bell does not suit up? Easily, by a mile. By a mile. Yeah, by a mile. He'll be over 50% owned. All right, let's uh In let's cash get games. In GPPs, In obviously, games. people want to be a little bit different. But yeah, he'll easily be the highest owned player. All right, let's get to wide receivers here. You already brought up Bortles. Mm-hmm. Which Jacksonville wide receiver do you want to target? Keelan Cole, $3,800 on DraftKings, $4,500 on FanDuel. Um, I mentioned that the, the Giants cornerbacks aren't good Janoris Jenkins even last year wasn't as good as some people think they you kind of go back to Janoris Jenkins shadowing Des Bryant have this idea that Jenkins is good and he is a good quarterback cornerback but he gave up enough points last year to where he's not someone that's just automatically going to fade uh the Keelan Cole is a situation where this might not make sense if if you haven't played a lot of DFS but for me uh it kind of comes down to if Le'Veon Bell plays or not because if if Le'Veon Bell does play, we lose that free square. I think Keelan Cole is the lock free square if if Le'Veon uh, does play because we just don't have a lot of obvious cheap players. Um, if he if he doesn't play and we have Connor to lock in, uh, you can look at it a couple ways. You either don't need to play a, a super cheap receiver that could has a pretty wide range of outcomes because of all the pass catchers, uh, or you can lock in him and Connor and really just do whatever you want. So there, there is a little bit to think about with Cole, depending on how those dominoes fall. We're always thinking about value. We're always thinking about how your, your overall roster construction is going to look. But, uh, if Le'Veon does play, I think Keelan Cole is the player to lock in for your cheap, uh, square. All right, and again, there's Dante Moncrief, mm-hmm. and there is, and I feel like he's the forgotten man. There's D.D. Westbrook and, and Shark, too, but yeah. Keelan Cole is the guy that, um, I, I, I don't, you, what do you say, undeniably the wide receiver one? I mean, he's him, him and Moncrief are listed as the one the and two one. On, on the depth chart. Uh, D.D. Westbrook, I think Keelan Cole is pretty convincingly separated himself uh, from from Westbrook in terms of uh, potential targets and, and talent. Moncrief, I think people are going to look at, he, he's been efficient in the red zone before. He's had decent uh, targets with the Colts, but in my opinion, Cole's just the better wide receiver and usually the cream rises to the top. Moncrief isn't a guy that I'm necessarily going to bank on to, to be my cheap wide receiver. And remember, we're we're talking about this because... Keelan Cole is ridiculously cheap, $3,800 on DraftKings, $4,500 on FanDuel, just to reiterate. So you you can take on a little bit more risk, even in a cash game, because you're getting that huge discount. If he was a $6,000 receiver, I, I probably am just not even thinking about it. So last year, week one, Antonio Brown goes 11 catches off 11 targets for 182 mm-hmm. yards. Yeah. against the Cleveland Browns yeah. at Cleveland. Now, yeah. I'm going to bring this up again. There could be weather concerns right now as we're sitting midweek. A lot can change throughout the week. 20-mile-an-hour winds. If you're not familiar with what the wind does, make sure you read some of the great articles. I think Chris Allen came up with some more great articles uh, this offseason about weather effects and the wind. But with let, let's just take that out of the equation right now. And I don't even know if it really matters because it's Antonio Brown. But – Antonio Brown is 8.6 on DK, 9,000 on FanDuel. And on the other side, you got DeAndre Hopkins, and Nook is 8.3 on DK and 8.8 on FanDuel. Is this kind of like just flip a coin? If you got a couple under extra bucks, maybe you're going with Antonio Brown. These are the two elite options in week one. They are both uh, top two options in terms of value on FanDuel and DraftKings. And four for four, uh, both rank out in the top two in terms of, and this is, we should pretty much just say this for, for all these players at this point, this is why DFS is, is so great because one domino changes the dynamic of the entire slate. So if Le'Veon doesn't play and we could play Connor, 
you can play Brown and Hopkins together probably if you play them with Keelan Cole, which is ridiculous. And, and that's why we, that's why probably it's going to come down to the last minute. That's why DFS is so dynamic. But if Le'Veon does play and you have to make a decision, I think you have to go with Antonio Brown. The weather concerns, a study just came out uh, that you talked about, Chris Allen did on weather. Basically what it does, it lowers the A dot of the pass attempts. Uh, pass volume drops a little bit, but Antonio Brown has such a big target share in that offense. I don't think it's going to matter much. If you take Le'Veon Bell out, then that's the guy that you would expect to see an uptick in targets because we expect quarterbacks to throw shorter in windy games without Le'Veon Bell there. You already talked about Connor not being a great pass catcher. Who's going to run those routes. Antonio Brown's the best route runner in the league, the best receiver in the league. He's going to do whatever the Steelers need them to do to move the ball. If there's no Le'Veon, the the offense runs through Antonio Brown. You have, you lock in Antonio Brown. Uh, the concern with DeAndre Hopkins is I do think that game can can get out of control a little bit. I don't know if it, if Houston's going to be able to keep it as close as possible. And while negative game script does serve uh, serve wide receiver ones well, like they can still do very well in, in garbage time. I think there's a, a non-zero percent chance that this game is a really big blowout because Deshaun Watson was a very turnover prone quarterback last year he is still coming off an injury people are kind of assuming he's just going to walk in and be the Deshaun Watson we saw last year and if that happens it could be a situation where they might have to pull their starters if it's a huge blowout uh and Bill Belichick is known for taking away the primary target in an offense he's been very successful at it the Patriots held DeAndre Hopkins to 76 yards on seven catches no touchdowns last year in week three all right, so Brown and Hopkins at the top. I, I'm, I'm almost thinking that Michael Thomas and you have your, you got your ownership mm-hmm. up there. We got GPP leverage scores and all sorts of really cool different things in the, in the DFS hub here. But I think Michael Thomas can be right up there with them as far as ownership. As a matter of fact, Michael Thomas might be, uh, the most owned wide receiver when it comes out there. Brown, what do you got? Brown at 21. You got Hopkins at 20%. You got Michael Thomas down at 13. I do I do wonder if Thomas gets bumped up a little bit just because of the matchup. I think he it could be a little bit higher. We have we have Michael Thomas 15 to 20%. We give ranges for our ownership projections. So we have Michael Thomas 15 to 20%. We have Keenan Allen, Antonio Brown 20 to 25%. So it could it could all merge pretty closely again go back to that domino falling i think antonio definitely will be the highest owned uh, wide receiver the chiefs defense looked really bad in preseason i think a lot of people are going to be on keenan allen with hunter henry out i like michael thomas i think he's might be a little bit safer than deandre hopkins in cash games for the reason that i mentioned and if we are in a situation where we get to play cole and connor together I have no problem pairing up Antonio Brown and Michael Thomas because sometimes saving those extra couple dollars is a really big deal. If you go down from DeAndre Hopkins to Michael Thomas on DraftKings, you're saving $500. And a lot of times uh, that's the difference in the lineup you love and the lineup you hate. You know, this is more of a game theory thing, but, and, and, you know, I got my mystery wide receiver. I I talked about already a guy that I think I'm going to throw in some GPPs, but Mm -hmm. let's just say, let's just use Cole for an example. He's cheap Mm -hmm. and Connor. So basically, if you wanted to, you could go Kamara, David Johnson, Ezekiel Elliott. <laughs> you know, you're basically putting all star roster together in week one. Yeah. And, and this seems to happen every single year. But sure. basically what it's coming down to is which chalky play are you going to leave out of your lineup? And is that going to be the guy that blows up? It's a really different right. strategy in week one than you're going to see the rest of the year. And it's something we've talked about in the past already this year on this podcast is that when, when those salaries do get very, very loose and you're able to stack a bunch of studs, basically what it does is you end up playing a higher variance game. And in those situations uh, you, you probably want to cut down on your cash volume a little bit because uh, those loose salaries, higher variance, that's exactly opposite of what you're looking for in cash games. You're looking to narrow your range of outcomes, and it's really hard to do that when you're going to end up with a lot of similar roster constructions and basically stud versus stud lineups. It kind of turns into a pick All right, two more wide receivers to get to here. Emmanuel Sanders, 
going up against Legion of Boom is dead, folks. It's dead. it's over. Pour one out for your homies. Move on. It's a it's a new time there in Seattle. And if you watch any preseason, the, uh, people complain, oh, we didn't learn anything in the preseason. You know what I learned? That Case Keenum and Emmanuel Sanders like each other a lot. Yeah. Um, so that's something I took out of it. You got Emmanuel Sanders, and you also listed Old Faithful. Larry Fitzgerald. So Sanders is just at 5K on DK and 6,300 mm-hmm. on FanDuel. Larry Fitzgerald, 6.6 and 7.3 on FanDuel. Love the chalk of both these guys. I think I like Sanders a little more on uh, on DraftKings and Fitzgerald a little more on FanDuel. I'm I'm there with you. I, I like Fitz on both sides. Uh, Sanders is a much better value on DraftKings just compared to his salary on FanDuel and just overall compared to the field. Uh, Sanders is going to play a lot in the slot. Uh, he, I think he played two-thirds of his snaps in the slot in the preseason. Even with Earl Thomas back, this secondary is is depleted. Uh, they're there was an article floating around on Twitter. I, I wish I could remember who to give it, who to give credit for, but they were talking about playing on the road in Denver in the, in the first two weeks of the season. And I think it's something going back like 12 or 15 years that Denver's won 85 or 90% of their home games. And it basically has to do with teams. Not only are they not in football condition, but they're not in mile high conditions. So they're just getting gassed. Denver has been training in, in the at altitude the whole offseason, they're always fine. And it's always an advantage throughout the year, but it's an especially big advantage early in the year when players just in general aren't in tip-top shape. So that's something definitely to take into account. You talked about Sanders' connection with Keenum. I, I think that's a real thing. Uh, and then Fitz is just a steady Eddie. Uh, he's projected for the fifth most catches behind DeAndre Hopkins, Antonio Brown, Michael Thomas, and Keenan Allen, according to John Paulson's proje- projections. But you're getting a, a really big discount. So the reason I wanted to mention both of these guys together is because depending on on how your lineups fall and what kind of price range you're looking at, they're enough of a gap. They're about a thousand dollars apart on both si- both sites that uh, where you're looking to fill that third wide receiver, uh, they they give you a little bit of a range to work with, and those are the two guys in that middle range that I'm looking at. All right, so that's the wide receiver position. By the way, I'm just getting so geeked up talking about this stuff um i got so many things racing through my head right now as i'm thinking about how many different uh lineups i'm gonna throw out there in week one all right (laughs) (laughs) i gotta slow it down dude so tj tight ends um as you like to say to gronk or not to gronk what are we doing with gronkowski 6.9 on dk 7.9 on Fanduel. my favorite thing is when gronk's not on the main slicks you just don't even have to think about it but it's it's going to be really tough to and probably unwise to not have a piece of the Patriots offense in some capacity. One thing that I've found is if if you're playing different slates, it's a little bit easier to get to some Patriots than if you're playing on the main slate. The main slate, everybody looks a little bit better than the players not named Gronk that you would think about, mainly Chris Hogan and Rex Burkhead. But if you're playing multiple lineups or if you're playing cash games against multiple slates, I think it's probably wise to have some piece of, of Gronk somewhere. He projects as our top tight end value on both FanDuel and DraftKings, despite having the highest salary. Uh, Houston really struggled against tight ends last year. They rank 16th against wide receivers, according to our projections, but 28th against tight ends. So there's a little bit of a funnel towards the middle of the field against this secondary. I'm probably more likely to use Gronk on Fandle where the touchdown equity is more important. But if we get two free squares, it's a situation. Maybe you want to go A, B, and Gronk instead of A, B, and an expensive receiver. And that if you can afford that along without losing running back value, I think that's definitely a viable strategy. Tight end, not a position I usually want to pay up for in DFS, especially in cash. But when things open up as much as they might, it's you have to consider it. And for what it's worth, you're able to run optimal lineups on four for four. He shows up in pretty much every optimal that you try to run. So that's definitely worth noting. Yeah. The guy that stands out to me though, is Jack Doyle. Luck is yeah. back. He hasn't proven that he can throw downfield. Doyle is just an excellent target. We know from the past that luck likes to use his tight ends on top of that. So Doyle's name is popping up a lot. And then I, I see, um, a couple of people on four for four really looking at Charles Clay and Charles Clay is kind of mm-hmm. jumping out at him. So let's talk about these two guys. First of all, with Doyle, 
because I know you brought him up to uh, 3.6 on DK, 5.6 on FanDuel. Um, Doyle was third in tight end target share last year on the team. And, and who knows? I mean, it might go up to number two this year behind T.Y. Hilton now that Luck is back. Maybe he even gets more than T.Y. Hilton. Who knows? I, I doubt that. But uh, your thoughts on Doyle first. The Colts are just a team that when Andrew Luck's in the lineup, they target the tight ends. They they use two tight ends uh, quite a bit. We've seen it historically since the Luck era began, no, kind of no matter who's in there, that there's two tight ends with plenty to go around. Uh, probably going to run some two tight end sets because after T.Y. Hilton, they don't have anyone like there it's either uh chester rogers or ryan grant i don't think either of them are necessarily going to be reliable options especially going into week one someone that you want to bank on so even if if you are a little bit worried about eric ebron siphoning off a couple of targets i think there's still going to be a lot of volume going jack doyle's way we don't know if andrew luck even has the strength to get it to those deep ty routes right now so that could be another point in jack doyle's direction and this could be a sneaky shootout game. Uh, it, it's one that kind of popped to me early when salaries came out. And the more I look at it, both of these defenses are are, are pretty susceptible uh, to the pass. The Colts just a defense that struggle all around. This game isn't one that people are I've heard talk about as a game to stack. But if there's a lot of touchdown equity to be had, that's exactly what we're looking for with our tight end. Uh, touchdowns drive tight end scoring as much if not more than any position because it could jump you so high on the leaderboard. And with that, it, it makes Doyle a, a pretty attractive option, uh, especially given his, his really affordable salary. We have him as a, as a top four value on, on DraftKings right now. I wish you would have put that, uh, that sneaky game comment just behind the paywall on your article. Because <laughs> I'm right there with you, man. Uh, my redheaded friend, Mr. Ginger himself, Andy Dalton, has an extremely juicy matchup with a healthy A.J. Green and Joe Mixon. Everybody's cho- licking their chops about Joe Mixon. Hope he just doesn't get sniped at the at the the in the end zone this week from A.J. Green and whoever the hell else is going to score all those touchdowns. But you're right. I mean, and then the Colts being at home, I, I like that game too. I think that's a game that a lot of people are going to be off just because you know, it's Cincinnati and Indianapolis. But um, that's definitely one to keep an eye on. And then Charles Clay. So Charles Clay is going up against a Ravens team that was completely shredded by the tight end last year. Mm-hmm. Does that matter coming into this year? Do you like Charles Clay? He to me he's not cash viable, is he? Just GPP. I I just can't get on board with the Clay play because it smells a lot like Delaney Walker last year. He's probably going to have a really big target share in both overall and even in the red zone on an offense that is very inefficient, that's going to opt to run the ball a lot more. So for example, last year, Walker, I think he was third in the league in target share inside the red zone among tight ends, but that only equated to 12 red zone targets all year. And that's because the Titans ran so much. Uh, we Even with the change in offensive coordinator, there's nothing to suggest that Buffalo is going to to change their ways. Their their new offensive coordinators in his short time as a play caller has been one of the most run heavy play callers in the league. They're probably going to try to protect Peterman and I just don't think there is touchdown equity equity to be had in this offense. So uh, I, I get it. The the argument is the target share is probably going to see a big chunk of those targets, but I mean ten percent of of 10 catches isn't or 20% of 10 catches isn't very exciting. Yeah. I, I have no, I have no interest in Charles clay this week uh, on any amount of exposure. I mean, if he ends up in one of my lineups, go for it. If that's what, if that what's at, what there, happens, but look at the guys around him on, on DK. I mean, you could, you could spend $200 or a hundred dollars less and get yourself David and Joku. I mean, I feel better about a yeah. than I do uh, Charles clay, a hundred dollars more and you're back on Jack Doyle. So I mean, you could you can look at Tyler Eifert. You can look at I mean, if you're going to throw a cheap dart, just hoping for a touchdown, you could throw in Antonio Gates. Now, I'm not doing that, but Settle I'd rather do that than Jay. Charles Clay, Settle. just because I think just because I think the offense has touchdown equity. Settle down on. I'm not Gates. touching Antonio Come Gates. Come on, we'll I'm not touching. Score. So, 
Then we got defense. Let's get to our defenses yeah. here. The Ravens, uh, if Connor has the possibility of being 50% owned, then, I mean, the Ravens, <laughs> the Ravens might be up there at this point. <laughs> yeah. 3.8 on DK, 4.8 on FanDuel. We've already talked about him going up against them, going up against Buffalo. I mean, it's a smash spot for the Ravens at home, and nothing is ever a lock. But as far as defenses no. go, there's a reason why these guys are so high priced. Yeah, if if you can afford them in cash games, you're you're locking that Ravens defense in. Uh, they're the top Fanduel value on four for four. Buffalo did a little bit to change their line, but they allowed the second highest adjusted sack rate last season, according to Football Outsiders, and that's what we're really looking at. Like we know Buffalo is is a bad offense. We know that Peterman uh, is, or at least in the short sample, he's an inefficient quarterback. We know that the Ravens are favored, but we need quarterback pressures to score fantasy points, and Buffalo allowed a lot of those last year. So that is what really puts the Ravens over the top in week one. Uh, Obviously, in in tournaments, because defense is such a high-variance position, don't go all in on a defense in your tournaments. It's just in one scoring touchdown, one return touchdown could flip the entire field. So if they don't get that, you're going to have a hard time winning a tournament, but they'll be my highest on defense still. And then here's an interesting one. The Patriots I'm looking at them at 2,400 on DraftKings, And for a game that a lot of people think is going to be a shootout, the over under the, the game total is over 50. I suppose that you'd target the Patriots uh, to, to get them in their lineup just because Deshaun Watson, while he may explode fantasy wise, you could also throw a couple picks and take a couple sacks, right? Absolutely. On on DraftKings, the, where the Patriots are only 2400 if you're in a situation where you need to, to free up some salary and you can't afford the Ravens, I'm always fine with punting a defense uh, because it, oftentimes it gets you to very high value position players that could often win your weeks alone for you, even if your your defense just puts up a decent number. I mentioned Watson coming back from injury. He had one of the highest interception rates in the league last year that was masked by his high touchdown total. Uh, Patriots at home as a six and a half point favorite. And Watson's a high variance quarterback. I talked about this when the initial prices dropped. He had the highest deep ball rate in the league last year, and that leads to to high variance results. So you're going to get the stretches like we saw last year where he balls for an extended period of time, but you're going to get some really ugly stretches from a, a, a young quarterback that, that's making high variance plays and if if the Patriots get up big and Watson's forced to throw a lot even though he does rush and can make some things happen and open some things up with rushing ability uh, Patriots are, are worth a punt on Fandle where pricing's a little more linear at the defense position I, I get getting away from them uh, but I think they're probably still a high upside play so uh, I have gone through all the positions and, and really come up with a lot of my core and you're right. It comes down to James Conner. Like how involved is he going to be? Cause that could change yep. everything. But what I haven't done as we're sitting here on Wednesday, I haven't gone through the defenses yet. So mm-hmm. I, I'm just going to throw out a couple of teams and I wonder, I want to bounce off because this is just from the eye test, the saints. Now the saints would be the ultimate pivot off the Ravens and maybe even the Jaguars. Cause on DK, they're uh, $3,600. They had a really, really improved defense, especially as the season went on. Marshawn Lattimore, spectacular. Um, they could get after a little bit. Fitzpatrick, while he didn't, he wasn't as turnover prone in his few starts last year as he was throughout his career. We do know that he is turnover prone. This is an offensive line that could give up some sacks. Want well, to get your thoughts on the Saints there? Uh, it, let's start with the Saints first, and we'll move on uh, to the other team next. But New Orleans as a pivot. You kind of covered all of my thoughts on on why I'm thinking about the Saints and why they're a great play. They're, they're a nine and a half point favorite. That's a huge deal. Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, instead of Jameis Winston. That's a huge deal. If you're looking for some kind of way to get some correlation and you're not fading the chalk in a in a GPP, stacking Camara with the Saints is a nice way to get a somewhat unique lineup. So all those things considered. Uh, I'm fine playing the Saints. Even if you need to some there's a lot of situations where you're building lineups and for whatever reason the difference between 4800 and 4600 is your make or break. If you're on FanDuel and you can't get to the extra $200, I'm fine playing the Saints in a cash spot. Yeah, that's an, that's another team I'm looking at. And then 
Again, going up against Russell Wilson, we talked about Denver's defense already, and it's it's a moderately priced. If the the Saints are three point six and the Broncos are three point three, but Denver at home, and we mentioned all the factors going around, and and also it's been in the nineties in Denver. So not only are you dealing with thin air, you're dealing with heat and thin air. That's a another spot where I could see Denver getting after it because they're still a legit top five to seven defense. They're a really good defense going up against the Seattle team that we'll see if Chris Carson is finally the answer at running back. Cause we haven't seen a running game from them in a long time. What do you think about the Broncos? I haven't considered it until the stat that I brought up that I saw on Twitter, where how dominant Denver has been at home in the first couple of weeks of the season. That's really going to sway how I'm thinking about this game. Uh, I'm I'm kind of off Seattle altogether at this point. They were a team that I liked early on when salaries dropped. And as the offseason has progressed, as we've seen this offense in the preseason, as the Baldwin injury has come to light a little bit more, uh, Denver is a team that because of the advantage playing a mile high early in the season, because Seattle's in disarray, because they have a bad offensive line, and because Broncos, I mean, do they have the best defensive line in, in the league, especially from a pass rushing perspective? You, you can argue they do. So even with their drop-off in in production from the secondary, uh, they still got uh, Chris Harris there, I believe, and then those pressures are what really lead to fantasy points, and I think they're going to have a lot of opportunity to get after Russell Wilson in this game. So I'm, I'm fine with it, and I... I even though the Steelers don't grade out particularly well, I think they're going to be a popular defensive play uh, because they're they're a favorite against the Browns. And the Broncos are a natural pivot off of the Steelers on DraftKings. And I believe on FanDuel, they're similarly priced as well. The Broncos are priced at 4600 and the Steelers priced at 42 So not as close there, but on DraftKings, it's almost a perfect pivot. I was uh, just one more note on the slate before we get into the game theory. I was reminded by a buddy of mine who covers the Redskins. I live in D.C. I'm moving out to Denver. Um, This has nothing to do with Denver. But David Johnson, 2016, (laughs) last time he faced the Redskins. And I'll never forget this because everybody in town was just like, oh, my God, David Johnson, legit fantasy option. Yeah, 175 yards of total offense, nine catches and two touchdowns. That was that was one of the most remarkable performances. It's probably just another David Johnson performance, but my goodness, in 2016, he, con- he just shredded the Redskins, and we didn't talk much about David Johnson, so I just had to throw his name out there. I, I do wonder how, my, how many people have just forgot that he was the number one overall pick in a lot of drafts last year. He got injured, and they forgot about him. Um, I'm all about David Johnson. I've taken him uh, number one overall in a couple season longs, and I think at DFS this week, maybe some people overlook him because he's been gone for a year. Um, him, he and Kamara, for me, those are the top two running backs in week number one. Yeah, if you read my breakdowns on on four for four this week, I'll definitely have a couple things to say about David Johnson for uh, people just tuning in for the first time this year that have listened uh, to the DFS MVP podcast in the past that aren't up on what's going on in DFS. The reason we don't have a kicker section is because FanDuel switched to a flex. So in case you didn't know about that, FanDuel's flex now. But they do have kind of a cool kicker contest now. So you yeah, like four kickers and then you can pick a flex, an actual player. Or something like that. Yeah. I haven't looked at I, I haven't looked closely at that one, but there is something with kickers. Yeah. yeah I, I do like kickers in DFS, I'll admit it. I, I'm gonna miss it. Again, pouring one out for my homies. Okay, fantasy football season. It's here, ladies and gentlemen. We have partnered up with DraftKings to bring you any of our four for four memberships for free. All you gotta do is go to four for four.com backslash DraftKings and follow the instructions 444.com backslash DraftKings. You'll get full access to our most accurate rankings, get the lineup generator, optimal lineups, premium articles, the great features in our plan, all for $5, which you can then enter into contests to potentially win even more. So we're super excited to bring you this deal. If you want to access right away, go to 444.com backslash DraftKings and follow the instructions. All right, let's get to some tournament structures here, TJ, because uh, in my never-ending quest to finally 
take down a big tournament, I continually look at some of the smaller uh, priced entry fees, and I keep thinking that that's the best way for me <laughs> to to go about it. So I said to you today, hey, let's talk about some tournaments that a lot of us should be in if we're not playing 150 mm-hmm. multi-entry tournaments. Where am I looking? What are some of the tournaments I should be looking at, TJ? So we can start with FanDuel, move on to DraftKings. The Sunday Million, let's start with that. 529,100 entries. So about 530,000 entries. $9 buy-in. I mean, there's no way I'm throwing in 100 lineups. I'm not throwing $900 at this thing. Um, I... DFS, it is a game of skill. It really is. But when you get to 500 and something thousand entries, it's also just a lot of hitting the right button at the right time. Is the Sunday Absolutely. million something that that the the casual DFS player, or even someone like me that's more than casual but not spending you know $20,000 buy-ins a week, is that something mm-hmm. I should be investing in? I'd say it's probably less beneficial for someone like you to play in it than someone that is just a complete casual, no cash game, not grinding it out player because that player, their goal is just to, their, their goal is just to kind of have some entertainment and, and maybe have a big payday. Whereas someone like you, even though you're not playing, like you said, $20,000 a week, you're playing a significant amount of money and, and you're a profitable player and you're playing cash games. So in that situation where you're trying to be responsible and have some kind of discipline, you should be looking for, for tournament structures, looking at how much the field is paid. Obviously, you talked about how big the field is. How much, how's that money being split up? How much is going to first place? How much do you make if you min cash? How much is being raked? All those things add up to bottom line. And if you're paying attention to these things, you have an edge over the field because if you have $100 and the guy next to you has $100 and you guys are making the same exact lineup and you're entering a contest that is long-term profitable for that lineup type and the other guy isn't, you're a better player. So it's kind of a hidden value, but it's something that we really need to consider. And a really good time to consider it is week one because we want to make sure are these structures the same? Are they what we expected? Sometimes week one, you'll you'll see contests that look really similar, but if you dig into it, a lot has changed. Uh, so for example, the Sunday Million, it looks like an okay structure because 23% of the field is paid, which is a decent amount, but 25% of the money is going to first place. Like you mentioned, over half a million people in the contest. And even if you min cash, you only multiply your money by 1.6%. And that's how many lineups you're playing. If you only min cash one out of 10 lineups, you just dropped $90 and only made 18 on a min cash. That goes straight to your bottom line. So these are the things you need to consider and start thinking about how much you're playing and where you might want to spend that money. All right. So let's get into it. Where do I want to spend my money then? Let's uh, let's just say I'm not going in on the $444 monster. Okay. Um, But I also don't want to play like, sit there and play the the quarter the quarter slots mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. give, give me some sweet spots here give me some sweet spots where i can either throw in a single entry maybe three entries or maybe one where i do want to throw in 10 20 50 lineups if if you're somebody that is looking to play a game that has a a first place prize of a hundred thousand dollars you're not going to be able to shop for game structure because there's pretty much only going to be one game at the buy-in level that you can afford that's going to offer those top prizes. But if you want to take a shot at $10,000, then you can find something that's a little bit more suitable for your bankroll and for what your goals are. So one that stands out to me, if you're somebody that's kind of in that that middle tier, if you're, say your bankroll allocation for GPPs is is 50 or $100 for the week. One tournament that jumps out to me on FanDuel, they have the single entry sweep at the $25 buy level. So instead of taking three shots at the Sunday million, which you mentioned is a little bit of a crap shoot, the, the best way I like to think about it is a old uh, Dan Harrington, a poker player, his saying was, it's like the World Series of Poker. Every it's a lottery, but the good players they get maybe three or four lottery tickets. The bad players they get maybe half a lottery ticket. Uh, instead of buying lottery tickets, 
go to this sweep at the $25 level, it's 3,700 entrance. So that's still a pretty decent size, but everybody only has one bullet. It's $25. It pays out 25% of the field. Only 12% of the money's going to first place, but you still have a chance to win $10,000. And then if you min cash, you double your money. So you only have one bullet. It's not a situation where you're multi-entering and if you min cash a couple, you still lose money. If you min cash, you doubled your money and it's not unfeasible to beat out 3,700 people. There's still some skill. You're still going to have to put in some some tournament theory into your lineup building, but that that's a very profitable tournament if you're a good player. Yep. I like that one. What about over on DK? Again, uh, the Millie Maker is $20. So- Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to, if I'm, if I'm going like 85, 15, or I'm going even, yeah. you know, 90, 10 cash to, to tournament, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, put in 10 millimaker. That's just, that's just not happening. But I think mm-hmm. it is worth a lottery ticket. I will throw $20 into a millimaker. Fine. Whoever wins it, you're welcome. Maybe, maybe it's me. Maybe it's one in 294,000. There's only 294,000 in this one. So you get a little better chance <laughs> to win it. But um, the Millie Maker on DK, I think, is one way to go at it. And if you want to pivot away from that and you're not going to make a million dollars, but you still want to take home, you know, five numbers, mm-hmm. where can we go? You're going to be a little more handcuffed on DraftKings if you're looking for a perfect structure. A lot of times on, on DraftKings, what you're going to gain in percentage of the field paid, you're going to lose out in your min cash multiplier. It's it's very rare that you're going to find a small tournament that pays out more than 25% of the field where you, where you also double your money. It's just the way DraftKings structured it. But you can find two out of three. Uh, one game that stands out to me is another single entry contest. It's at the $33 buy-in level, the three-point stance. This one's a three-max game, so there are going to be some people with a couple more entries than you if you only have 33 bucks to throw at GPPs if you don't want to spend 100 But if you can't spend 100 you can max enter it. You're still only going up against 3,500 players. 23% of the field uh, is paid, but you have a chance to turn your $33 into 10,000. It's not a horrible structure. Uh, and then there's, there's some other games that, that are decently structured where something like if you are a small uh, stakes player and, and you still want a little bit of upside, the three max, uh, the, the nickel three max at the $5 level, that's 36,000 entries. That's pretty big. Uh, but it's not impossible. And at the very least, you're playing a three max game that puts you on the same playing field with the rest of the field. Someone's not going to come in there and bully you with 150 lineups. Uh, $5 buy-in, 25% of the field is paid, chance to win 20 grand. Uh, Again, the field's pretty big, but probably a better investment if you are looking for some upside and don't want to play a $33 contest. Uh, These are just a few examples, but this is these are the things I'm looking at when I'm shopping around uh, for tournaments. And this info isn't ready, readily available. You have to do a lot of clicking around. You have to manually enter these things. That's that's why we're not offering up these percentages on on four for four like we did last year. It's just all manual work now. You can't you can't uh, copy and paste these into your into your spreadsheet. They've blocked that. But if you're trying to be a profitable player, you have to take the time and figure out where where these small edges are at, and it's definitely worth it. Last thing, TJ. So I will take a cash game lineup and usually throw it in a five dollar, three dollar tournament, mm-hmm. five dollar tournament, maybe yeah. you know, ten, ten, twelve dollar tournament, depending on the week. Somewhere between three and twelve dollars, mm-hmm. and it'll be a single entry. Usually, yep. it'll be a single entry. What is your strategy for a single entry tournament? What is that? Is that usually your cash game, or is it? How, how do you approach a single entry? So I'm, I'm playing a little bit higher stakes. So it's a little bit easier for me to decide. I, in, in most single entry contests, I am just playing my, my cash lineup, but that's because uh, I'm playing a little bit higher stakes and that means a little bit smaller fields. So if it's something like, uh, I don't know, let's throw out a number. If I have $900 in cash game on a specific slate, if I find a $50 contest, which is 300 players, even though it's 300 players, it's going to be hard for a cash lineup to beat that. Uh, it's not impossible. Uh, I, I think probably if 
you are looking to put your cash lineup in a contest and you don't have a huge bankroll, the angle that I take is look for the smallest field. And if you're playing a, if you're playing a large field single entry contest, you probably want to put something together that's going to be at least a little bit contrarian. So uh, to answer your question, if it's smaller stakes, uh, I'm, I'm just looking for a smaller field with my cash lineup. It's as simple as that. All right, TJ. Yep. We got the DFS MVP promo, 25% off. I mean, we gave you a little taste of what's coming up on the DFS hub here, but TJ is just in lockdown mode right now, writing up uh, <laughs> his plays on both sites. So yeah, that's the first thing. Second of all, this is just completely awesome. I'm so <laughs> excited about week one, and I'm just excited that I could actually you know, come on here and BS about some guys that I like and, and pick your brain as well. So this has been an absolute blast for me. We'll be doing it all season long, even into the playoffs. But uh, why don't you remind everybody about the T-shirt giveaway because that ain't over just because the season started. Yeah, for those of you that, that stuck around till the end, if you go on iTunes, you give us a five-star uh, rating and give us a nice review. We're going to enter your name into a contest to win a free four for four t-shirt. They're super comfortable t-shirts, really soft, really stylish. And also one other surprise for all of you that stuck around to the end for week one, we're going to make all of our DFS content available for free to give you a preview of what we offer every week. Uh, all of the tools and, and value reports will still be behind a paywall, but any, any, all of our articles, uh, DFS articles will be available week one for free, only week one. So we're going to give you a chance to check out what we offer after that. It's going to be locked up. So, uh, if you like what you see, make sure you use that DFS MVP promo code to get 25% off. Wow. I didn't know that. So <laughs> nice job throwing it out there. I that figured is- it out an hour ago. Awesome. Oh, you got it. <laughs> I didn't know it either. Uh, all right, man. This is this is good stuff. And, you know, don't blame me for watching a lot of the uh, Cincinnati and Indianapolis game on Sunday. So in all likelihood, I'll be talking about it a lot next week, one way or the other, because there are some plays in that game that I like. TJ, take us out, brother. It's This was awesome doing the show. I'm so excited for this season. Let's get it going. It feels good. I'm ready to be back too. Hopefully I'll be back talking to you and the listeners after all of us made a bunch of money because of the podcast. Please follow me on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. Follow Holden at Holden Radio. Talk to you guys next week.